0: All right, so the Rangers pick up the big win on Thursday night at Madison Square Garden to kick off the post-break schedule, and stretch run, two big points against the defending champion Blackhawks. It did get a little dicey there at the end, but they were able to hold on for the win. And uh, now this weekend, they head to Philly on Saturday, then back home on Sunday to face the Bruins for the third and final time this season. And joining me today to talk about the Bruins is Brian McGonigal of Bar- Barstool Sports Boston. You might know him as Rear Admiral from Barstool Sports Boston. Brian, how's it going today? Good.
1: How are you doing, Neil? Thanks I- for
0: having me. I'm doing well. And uh, you know, uh, you probably didn't get a chance to see the end of this Rangers game up in Boston, but it did get a little uh, a little sloppy at the end there. Uh, the Blackhawks score with 11 seconds left to ruin the shutout chance for Cam Talbot, and then Patrick Kane almost ties the game, uh, gets stuffed with about a second to go on the clock. And uh, that seems to be the uh, the ongoing theme with Kane of late after what happened in the Olympics. Um, are you disappointed with the way the Team USA sort of slumped down the stretch and, and finished 0-2 in the semifinal and then the medal game and going scoreless for the last 120 minutes?
1: Yeah, it was definitely disappointing. Uh, they're you know, a team a lot of people expected to be in the gold medal game at a, minute, a minimum, and they didn't get there. Uh, scoring was an issue for them. Uh, it, I think a lot of people claim it for uh, you know Keith Yandel to be on that team, and, and I think you could still make the argument he should have been there. Uh, Brooks Orpik is, is kind of stone footed out there. His you know presence on the big ice really wasn't wasn't a factor out there. I mean he plays a hard physical game in close quarters, and, and he really wasn't needed. I mean he uh, looked bad in a few plays. I think uh, that, that probably would have jumped out of the offense a little bit. Uh, the goaltender was fine. Um, it was it, no, you no, know, no problems with that. John Quick, we got exactly what we expected of, of, out of it. And as first as bad as they played in that Canada game, or I should say, as good as Canada played. I mean, when you got the you know, best players in the world committed to defense, and that's what you get. And you know, they they, they got no breathing room whatsoever. But uh, you know, having said that, you know, the U.S. are still only one goal away from tying that for the for the whole game. Uh, you know, largely due to to, to Quick. Um, as far as the bronze medal game, I, I think I think it's obvious they mentally checked out. Uh, they kind of were spent after the Canada game. And, and, you know, the bronze medal simply doesn't mean to, it's in the U.S. what it does uh, overseas in Europe, uh, particularly with the Finns, uh, who are still the only team to medal in each uh, NHL-participating Olympics, uh, which is why I thought they might get the gold this year. So, yeah, overall, as a fan of Team USA, it was, it was a disappointment. But, at the end of the day, um, a week later, people forget about it. I mean, I, I mean, Canada goes nuts over it. They, you know, I, th- I think they can take a little bit of uh, act like you've been to before the way they <laughs> celebrate. I mean, they were a heavy favorite, and you would have thought they were, uh, you know, big underdog. But um, yeah, you know, it is. It's the Olympics. It's it's fun. You, there's hype part, but at the end of the day, it's like let's get back to the NHL. That's that. That's what really matters to me.
0: Well, with the NHL now and, and the league is is strictly against their players going across uh, uh, to the Olympic Games and giving up three weeks of their season in the middle of the year. Not not that they're necessarily giving up games. They just condense them and squeeze them in. But to be closed for three weeks, uh, to, to miss out on the All-Star Game, the skills competition, and to have players injured is their biggest fears. And are you a guy that's for the NHL players to continue playing in these games? I mean, I am definitely all for it. I think it, it brings a level of excitement to the games every four years. The players seem to enjoy it. I think you want to have the best possible players from each com- country representing their respective country and there's really only a handful of people that I've found that are against it it seems like most people want the NHL players to continue to play
1: uh i I think a good compromise I mean'm I'm, I'm for it i say if they do it again fine if they don't I mean I certainly understand the owner side I mean they you know it's, it's their money it's their product and you know they sh- shut it down for three weeks like you say they, they do play those games but you know they're, they're more condensed, so may, you know maybe more people are less likely to go to games because you know there are so many of them in a short period of time. I, I just think that you know they're the owners, and, and ultimately, if you know if they don't want to do it, they're not going to. I think a good compromise would be to, to bring back to you know the World Cup of Hockey, or you know they, what they used to call the Canada Cup, and, and play that uh, in the you know late summer, early fall before the season starts and. Um, then all eyes are kind of on it. I mean, I know they were during the Olympics, but there's also other things going on in the middle of winter. But uh, the Canada Cup played in late summer, I, I think, would be great. Uh, I think you, you get the same competition. Uh, I know you know you don't get the exposure of the Olympics, but, I mean, you know, it's been, what, 16, 16 years now, I think, that the NHL has been going to the Olympics. And, I mean, if, if they were going to get a, some sort of a bump from it, I think it would have already been there by now. I mean, this year may have helped. But you know you can't have that be the priority. I mean you can't say oh let's let's wait for the Olympics. Let's only have these tournaments to the Olympics. I mean if the bumps only going to be negligible, then just you know have the competition. You know like I said early early in the fall and and get the best comp- best teams in the world. Same thing you do with the Olympics, but you just have it at a better time and, and you know, you're the only event going on. So you you know you get all the eyes. So I think I think you might see something like that worked out because uh, it's not just the owners too. I mean I there was an interview with Cam Neely on local radio up here and. You know, he basically come out and said, he, you know, he, he kind of would much rather just the season continue as is, you know, thinks it kills the momentum of the season. And, uh, you know, a lot of general managers want to do away with it as well. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do in South Korea, too, which is also a factor because, you uh, know, that's, I think, I think I heard 14 hours difference or something. Well, I mean, something crazy like that. And, uh, you know, it's, is it going to be worth having games on that are going to be, Played it, you know, five in the morning or three in the morning, some crazy time like they were in Japan. So, you know, if I was a betting man, <laughs> wink, wink, uh, I, would say that, I would say that they're not going to play the, the next Olympics. I think, uh, I think the owners are going to uh, are going to be all set with it for some reason. You know, the, the Tavares injury probably be a factor too. Uh, I got a hunch they're going to vote it out, but they that they you know they may go back to a, a you know tournament every couple of years or something.
0: Well, it seems like you did uh, pretty well on the, on the betting in the Olympics. Uh, according to your Twitter, there's a few adjusted lines that seemed to hit for you. And I remember one, I, I forget which game it was, but it was at the end of the first period when it, uh, you got one in your favor.
1: Yeah, that, w- that was actually versus the Czechs. I, I actually made all my money in that game, uh, basically, because I, I had, you know, like I said, Finland to, to win the gold. I had the U.S. to win the gold. Uh, a couple of other long shots I, I threw a few bucks on. But, yeah, the Czechoslovakia game, uh, that was huge. I was sure. The Czechs. Jeffrey Public, that was a huge game. Yeah, David Backer scored with like two seconds left, and it was about five and a half for the first period with a plus one eighty. So uh, to hit hit a bet like that, that was a that was a pretty big play. That that was kind of swung my afternoon. But yeah, it was it was nice. I to, in addition to. You know, getting to watch some good hockey and make a few bucks, that's always a bonus.
0: <laughs> well, you brought up about breaking up the momentum of the season, and I think that's the biggest problem here with the Rangers that they face is coming off this break, they were playing their best hockey of the season pretty much since the first, or the end of the first, beginning of the second week of January, they had a good stretch going. Uh, they had one letdown game right before the break where they lost two to one to Edmonton at home, which certainly you don't want to happen, especially when you're, you're trying to stay away from the playoff bubble. But you know this three week break, no one was really sure what to expect out of them. They come out tonight and get a win with Cam Talbot and Ned over Henrik Lundqvist to try to get him some extra rest. So for right now, it looks good. But they're out without Matt Zuccarello now for a few weeks, who's been their leading scorer all season, um, mainly because Nash was out for such a long period. Of time. But, um, you know, I think a lot of teams are are put in that position where they don't know what they're going to get coming out of a three-week layoff. And and right now is the most crucial time of the season with just over 20 games to go. And you got the Bruins, who, I mean, they're going to make the playoffs pretty much no matter what at this point. But they come out and they lose an overtime game in Buffalo, which is just. I mean, that's shocking as is. I'm sure, uh, you know, for gamblers, it was even more shocking. And uh, Tuuk Rask got the night off. It seems like he's going to get a lot of nights off between now and the and the middle of April. But uh, to come out of the game and lose to the Sabres, do you just write that one off as, as a sloppy game uh, coming right out of the break? Or, or is there anything surprising or disheartening about the Bruins play that you didn't like after a three week layoff?
1: Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, a bad loss in, in so far as they blew a late lead once again. They uh, gave up a goal with less than a minute left in the game, and then they they blow it in overtime. So, yeah, the, you know, from that perspective, it's ugly to see that. There's kind of been a little bit of an albatross this year with the team. It, it, He's uh, actually happened with Tukarask a couple times, but he wasn't in net last night. Uh, Chad Johnson played. He didn't have a good game at all. Uh, but like you just said, the Rangers had played good going into the break, and uh, the Bruins did too. The Bruins were actually playing really good hockey going into the break. They built up a nice nice amount of points, a little bit of a cushion. Uh, but yeah, the other night, I don't think it's systemic, systematic of anything. It was just kind of, you know, uh, uh, another example of the Bruins playing down in their competition. They're, they're guilty of that uh, way too often. Uh, conversely, they also play up to their competition. So when they play the, you know, the elite of the league, they kind of rise to the occasion. But, yeah, they they got, you know, bad, bad goalie. Uh, Chara looked to me like he might have been a little tired out there. You know, defense didn't have the best night. It was just, you know, one of those ones. You just kind of write off. You know, they did get a point out of it. It should have been two, but, you know, at least that third point only went to Buffalo and not uh, one of the teams chasing them for the, you know, playoff spot or anything
0: well uh last year uh with the ranger bruins playoff series and a lot of people picked the rangers going into that series it seems like more the majority of the people picked the rangers to win that series and they were embarrassed and if it wasn't for that um that Odd, awkward Tuka Rask, uh, that, that weird goal where he sort of fell down and flopped and Hagelin just sort of pushed it in. Uh, they get swept in that series without that. And uh, now looking at this season, when I when I line up the Rangers and how they stack up against the rest of the East, I mean, Pittsburgh's always going to be right there, probably end up being the one seed. But to me, the Bruins are the best team in the Eastern Conference, and they seem to be the same team they were last year, if not even a little better. Do you think that this Bruins team is better than a team that went to the Cup last season?
1: Uh, I, I do, actually, yeah. I think, um, you know, basically they, they lost Nathan Horton, but uh, they replaced him with Jerome McGimber. I mean, who, you know, he's he's maybe you know, he lost a stride or two, but he's still a pretty formidable presence out there. I mean, he's he's certainly as good as Nathan Horton. He's a hell of a replacement. Uh, they lost Tyler Sagan, but they, they brought in, you know, they got Riley Smith. And uh, Louis Erickson both in the lineup, you know that, that both came in the trade, and you know we thought Louis Erickson was going to be playing on the second line, and you know when he got hurt with a with consecutive concussions, Riley Smith, you know essentially came in and swiped the job from him. Uh, of course, Lou Erickson is on the third line, which you know with Soderberg and Chris Kelly, which it's a pretty formidable line in its own right. It's not necessarily, I mean, a typical checker line for the, for the third line, but it's. It's a line that can score. That can score. That can beat you. It's defensively responsible. Uh, we didn't expect to see Louis Eriksson there, but that's where he is. Uh, but they, they get a better lineup up on to, uh, top to bottom. They just uh, they, they have probably a little bit more firepower. Uh, you know, with Sagan, he is scoring for Dallas this year. But the bottom line is he wasn't doing it at that clip in Boston last year. So it's not like they're missing him in that regard because they they really weren't getting it out of him last year. Uh, the defense, they're missing probably Andrew Ference a little bit. His you know, leadership, uh, his snarl at their own end. Uh, he he didn't really make too many bad decisions. He, he had a, a rough regular season last year, Ference, but he was great in the playoffs and I think they'll miss him in the playoffs this year. Uh, they're certainly going to miss Dennis Seidenberg, who was uh, lost for the year with injury. Uh, I think expect the Bruins to maybe go out and bring in a defenseman at, at the deadline or by the deadline because uh, Seidenberg does create a big hole, so you know, uh, you know, you take adding the Sideberg injury, then maybe they're a little bit even. But um, you know, that, that's a, a huge hole they do need to fill at the deadline. But yeah, I, I, this, I think this team certainly, uh, if not, if it's, I'm sorry, it probably better, a little bit better than last year. I would say as good, but probably slightly better. I think uh, you know, with the the turnover they have had, they they've replaced it with. Uh, equal or better so i I like where they're going i like their chances again this
0: year and with the trade deadline now approaching this coming week uh here in new york uh, a lot of talk about ryan callahan getting moved it seems like he's definitely going to get moved unless he comes greatly down on his demands or unless the rangers really 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 want to overpay and give about 10 percent of their payroll to a guy who at best is going to give him 20 to 25 goals and as a homegrown guy who came up through hartford came up with the rangers is now the captain uh still still under 30 years old you know it hurts to see guys like this have to leave because of the salary cap because of the way things are because there's so much money tied up in in other players on the team um you know you guys were sort of in this situation last year where um or last off season with tyler sagan where a homegrown talent um a number two overall pick a guy who already won the stanley cup at whatever he was 18 19 years old and Thought to be the future of the franchise, at least offensively, and now he's become the Dallas Stars' future of their franchise offensively. Uh, were you a guy who you know had a hard time with getting rid of Sagan? And and I mean, looking back on it now, sure he's producing in, with Dallas, but it seems like you guys ended up getting a good overhaul with him.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I was shocked. I, I remember I was at a family cookout, July Fourth, and you know, like any Twitter addict, looking at my phone <laughs> and, and saw the trade. Now it's like you know, whoa, that was a, a mistake or something. Sure, you know, sure as. Sure as anything, I checked my email and there was a you know email from the Bruins press office saying there was going to be a teleconference at you know 4:30 or whatever. So you know it was real, and uh, I was stunned. Uh, you know I knew Erickson coming back is uh, is a great player. Although Bruins fans, I think, some have been way too harsh on him this year. He you know he came to a new team, new system, new coach, new everything, and he, and he got a pretty bad concussion you know in October. And, he came back for a couple games and then he got another one and uh... you know that's that's a real tough thing to bounce back from he's not going to be able to show you what, what, what he has uh, completely but i think the olympics was good for him he played with his old swedish buddies i think he kinda got a little bit of a swagger back and i, I think uh... brolin's fans will come around on him uh, as far as <clears throat> excuse me, Sagan's behavior here i think uh... you know a lot of it was probably rumors a lot of it was embellishment but you know he was a party animal uh, and, and you know, uh, people say they gave up too soon on him. But you know, after after you know hearing what you heard and you know knowing the stories out there, I don't think they. I think they gave him plenty of time. They gave him three seasons to to get his acting gear. And, and you know, I mean, in the playoffs, you know, the reports of him you know ha- coming to the arena in last night's clothes and you know having to put a god outside his door. And it's like, come on, man, this is like three years late. Three, three years into your career, and you're still doing this stuff. And uh, I think why he's, you know, in part he's having such a good reason in Dallas is similar to Joe Thornton getting traded by the Bruins uh, back in uh, 06, I think, '05. It was um, it's that these guys get motivated by it, like that, you know, they're not really fulfilling their potential until like the, this trade comes in. It's kind of a boot in the ass for them, and they realize, well, you know, we gotta, I gotta really put, you know, get my my stuff in gear here. So, you know, I. I you know, I didn't want to see Sagan get traded, but what they did get for them uh, I thought was certainly a worthy haul. I mean, they got four guys basically for him. Uh, I mean, the Bruins did trade Rich Peverly as well, but uh, the Bruins were looking to dump his salary anyways, and frankly, I, I think they probably would have dumped him anywhere for even a draft pick. So, you know, obviously uh, Sagan was the centerpiece of that trade, but uh, I I certainly don't mind if I know a lot of people still like to bring it up, but uh, I, I think, you know, there was a guy that they gave – Chances, second chances too, third chances too, and, and they weren't seeing progress, and they and they decided, you know, this isn't a guy we want to spend uh, you know five and a half, six million dollars on.
0: The Bruins sort of have a have a New York Giants mentality where you, they they don't really care what the talent level is if you don't have that that attitude and that right demeanor, they're just not going to put up with it. And I think that's what really happened with Sagan.
1: Yeah, and it, it's you know it's, a, it's very much a veteran locker room. They're uh, some older guys, and now you know that, that was a bone of contention with Sagan. I mean, the first one of the first things he said in his Dallas press conference is, oh, at least there's, not every guy on the team is married, like, you know, it's like, dude, that's not your priority, like, you're there to play hockey, not to, like, chase tail, you know, I mean, like, who cares if this guy's he married, like, you know, you're supposed to make the best of your situation, and, you know, I think he had a lot of maturity uh, issues still, and, you know, I mean, you know, I think it's, he's probably a product of, of his generation, too, I mean, that, you know, that he grew up in an era with, you know, the participation, the trophies for everybody, and, you know the kid's been the best player since he was nine years old. So everyone's been kissing his butt back then. No one, t- since then, no one tells him no. And you know you you start to you know believe everything people tell you, and no one tells you no. And I think that's that's kind of what you get. You know, and even when when his uh, parents talk to the press after his trade, you know, kind of coming to his defense, sort of like in helicopter <laughs> parents. Like you hear about calling this, you know, schools to complain about grades or, or job uh, companies because their kid didn't get the job. It was. It reminded me of that. I was like, "Geez, man! I mean, you don't often hear of uh, professional parents, uh, professional players, parents going to the press about the about the the trade." It was just kind of—I just thought it was funny the whole thing. I was like, "Come on, man! You know, get your family in check, bro." You know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, with Sagan, you brought up the Joe Thornton trade, which to me is still—I mean—got to be one of the worst trades. I mean, at the time I was in college in Boston, I couldn't believe. What they were giving up. I mean, no MVP in the middle of his MVP season in any of the major sports has ever been dealt. Um, and I think it's way different circumstances. Because Joe Thornton, I don't think, was an issue there. I'm, I mean, to this day, I still have no reason, no idea why they get rid of him and what they got back for him was just a terrible decision. But uh, when you look at the way they both came up, I mean, they both had terrible letdown rookie seasons, um, Thornton way more so than Sagan, uh, and Sagan sort of got the grip of it way quicker than Thornton. It was not until basically his third or fourth year that he started to turn into the player that we see today. But going back in time now to whatever that was, the old 5 6 season after the lockout, I mean, why... Did they get rid of him? I know this is not related to anything going on in today's NHL, but for someone who, who's from the area and, and obviously remembers that trade, what were your feelings when that happened?
1: Wow, well, you thought—I mean, you, you thought the Sagan trade was a stunner. The, the Thornton one was—I mean, it was like this was. Well, the internet—it was just, the internet was out, but it wasn't as prevalent as it was today. But that was one—you know—you had to like check six sources just to verify it because you just did did not believe it, it was it was done. Uh, I, I think if that was a case in hindsight. I mean, it, it's kind of funny. It was a terrible trade. with, with Michael Connell got back, he didn't shop him around. He called one team. He took the. It's almost like he took the first offer they gave him. Uh, Brad Stewart, Wayne Primo, and Marco Sturm for Joe Thornton. And I mean, even saying it today, you can't help but laugh. I mean, Peter Shirley did clean a little bit of it up. He, you know, he knew Brad Stewart didn't want to stay in Boston, so he. Shipped him and Primo off to Calgary for Chuck Holmso, and he did bring in Du Ferrenton, who ended up being a you know integral part of the team for years. Uh, but it was an awful trade. Uh, but the the funny part is though is that it, without that trade, you know the, the Bruins might not you know become what they are today because that actually it was it became like the best most inadvertent salary dump in Boston history. I mean Michael Connell, who made the trade, still defends it. He pretends he he did it because it. You know, it was, it was either it was Hunt radio up here a couple years ago said it was always either Bergeron or Thornton, and I knew Bergeron had it. I mean, he was so full of crap, he was just, you know, typical cover in his butt. <laughs> but it was, uh, it, it was, it was just a bad trade. It was a bad trade uh, that uh, he made. It I think because he knew Joe Thornton uh, didn't have that the, the fire. I guess he didn't. He didn't want to spend at the time, you know, six and you know, six and dollars which was a lot of money at the time, on a guy who, you know, he saw him get beat on one face off too many, and and he got rid of him after the game. I think he just didn't think he had that passion that was going to lead the Bruins to the Cup, and, well, you know, I mean, here we are eight years later, and Joe Thornton still hasn't been to a Stanley Cup, so you know maybe he was onto something. <laughs>
0: well, I think a lot of it came from the year '03 4 right before the lockout, in that seven-game series that the Bruins blew that three-one lead to the Canadians. He had no points, but wasn't it reported after that? Did, wasn't he playing with like something nuts, like a broken wrist or something?
1: Yeah, about his shoulder. I think he might have a separated shoulder. He probably shouldn't even he shouldn't even have been playing. I mean, they would have been better off with a kid from Providence playing at hundred percent rather than Joe Thornton at probably thirty percent. He just I mean, he was basically ineffective out there, and then the media, you know, you know the the, the Globe guy there, Dupont, he acted like you know, oh, he shouldn't be the captain, and you know, taking all that dramatic stuff. it was it was a big hullabaloo about it. I mean, he was probably too young and too immature to be the captain when he was the captain here. Uh, you, you know, he was hurt; he probably shouldn't have been playing. But yeah, there, there was that his playoff history was was pretty bad before then, but uh, I don't know if you remember the night before the game, I'm sorry, before the trade, uh, he got undressed on a, on a face-off by actually by John Madden and the Devils in, in overtime, and they beat the Bruins and it was just kind of like, he just, you know, he was just kind of ho-hum after the game and, and I think, you know, I think O'Connell just kind of, you know, saw this vision of, you know, us never win. you know, the us being the Bruins, never going to win with this guy. He just he just doesn't have, he doesn't get pissed off enough after losses. He, he doesn't have the fire. And, uh, I mean, it was a, a ballsy trade that, again, it went, without dumping his salary, they never would have, would have been able to bring in Zavano Jarre and Mark Savard because they would have had the money tied up in Thornton. So it, it did, you know, it inadvertently open this other door to the Bruins, which ended up, you, I guess you could say, ended up leading to the Stanley Cup. With you know, maybe Michael O'Connell's relatives will say that.
0: <laughs> and wasn't Thornton devastated about the trade once it happened? I feel like I remember him, like, crying in a press conference for it.
1: It was actually uh he was spotted outside the the greatest bar sitting in his his SUV like yeah, bob ball, bob ball, balling like a toddler, you know, just he was devastated and, you know, he was just shot in his car, was crying crying and like like I uh, was you know, I don't know, people walking by noticing I mean he was you know, was heartbroken. He was you know, he wanted to be here, he wanted to stay here and I mean they caught everybody uh, off guard. It was nobody saw that coming and you know, again, judging by the the, the hall that Michael Connell got, none of the other GMs knew because they all said, "Jesus, I would offered a hell of a lot more than that." It was, uh, <laughs> it was like he just had to get rid of him suddenly. You know, usually when it, when that happens, uh, uh, something behind the scenes or there's some story or you know he's fooling around another the play his wife or something. But it was nothing like that. It was just, uh... it was just a horrible, horrible trade. And uh, but like I said, it ended up ended up opening up money that they they were able to later spend to bring in some other guys. So funny how things work out in hockey sometimes.
0: Well, when you look back to that eight years ago now, the, the Dave Lewis era and the end of the Joe Thornton era, it's it's kind of crazy to see how quickly the Bruins, you know, they get some different management in, tweak the front office a little bit, uh, get better coaching, and uh, all of a sudden now they're pretty much a cup contender annually, and uh, it didn't take them very long to turn things around.
1: No, it's, uh, it's you know, Shirelli uh, came in, and I mean, I was skeptical of him, uh, maybe this City kid with a Harvard guy coming in, you know, a Goodwill Hunting complex or whatever. <laughs> you know, uh, here comes a you know Harvard guy coming in, blah blah blah. But he, he uh, you know, he didn't have a hell of a lot of pedigree. You know, he he was an assistant GM in in Ottawa, but you know, people didn't really know too much about him. Uh, but he's very calm. He's a patient guy. He's not a he's got a personality. He's not a big media personality. He doesn't you know, glom on to. You know, looking for interviews. He's not one of those guys. He's a pretty low-key guy, uh, and I think also bringing in Neely, uh He's not just a figurehead. nearly He's 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 got a hands-on role in the operation, and I, I think they both sat down and they decided what kind what kind of team they want to uh, have here. And, and they and they did bring back the pride. And where on the spoke be because it was gone for a while. I mean, when Ray Bork got traded off to Colorado, uh, the franchise was adrift for several years. It's when he left, something left with them. And it didn't really come back really until Shirelli and, and kind of nearly took the reins of the organization, and they decided they were going to get tougher and kind of bring back the hard, tough-nosed Bruins, you know, Bruins hockey that people had been accustomed to for so long. And then, you know, that's what they've done. Uh, you know, as a, I mean, I'm a season ticket holder and you know, lifelong fan, and you know, all I ask, spend on the money I do, and my season tickets just went up almost twenty percent is that uh, I, I just want a chance for my team to win every year, and that's what we have after a long time of having crap and having nothing. You know, now now we, you know, we know we're going to have a t- contender every year in October, and it's a good thing, and it's all, you know, and Sh- you know, really has a couple of detractors, but, you know, the guy's made some uh, unbelievable master strokes. He's had a couple mistakes, but, you know, he's been the two cups in the last three years, and uh, I think what, what he's done with this franchise has been great. You know, uh, hopefully it continues
0: and the thing with the Bruins that that is remarkable is the way they do things I mean they're so deep all, all four lines play hard they, they keep they can all score they can all keep the puck out in that uh, they just do all the right things and their defense is steady they have one of the best goalies now uh, some I guess maybe you even would argue that he's the best goalie in the league and the thing with them is they don't have that superstar they don't have the guy who really when I, when he's on the ice that invokes the fear of God into the opponent they don't have the Crosby the Ovechkin even a Nash type in that next level down that when you know he gets the puck in the offensive zone you're worried they just have so many of the secondary scoring options that makes them scary and no other team is really built the way they are in the whole eastern conference
1: right that's you know i i, I know you know that's another sometimes people criticize oh they don't have a you know a guy in the top 20 scoring or 30 scoring. it's like well who, who cares when you when you got seven eight guys all scoring 20 goals then it, it doesn't matter like you know you you know, you have to keep an eye on every line. There's not, you know, you're not top heavy with one or two lines. You got, you know, three lines that can definitely score, and a fourth that can certainly, you know, score on occasion, but isn't going to be used all the time to score. But, you know, uh, Greg Campbell, Dan Empire, Sean Thornton, they're, they're certainly capable of scoring on any given night. But it, it, it's good. It's a good balance roster. And, I mean, David Grazie certainly, I mean, he's certainly not a superstar, uh, you know, until the playoffs were all around. And then he, he just finds another gear and I don't mean that in a speed way. He he's definitely not a speed demon out there. He just, you know, creatively and intellectually the way he sees the game, uh he's led the league in score and playoff score in two of the last three playoffs, the the Bruins Cup run and then last year. Uh he's he's a phenomenal player and I I know, but I'm glad to see the rest of the fans around the league. I'm glad to see him in the playoffs the last couple of years. Because you know he's superstar caliber during, during the playoffs, and I mean even during the season, he, he he's just so I think subtle of the way he does things. He's not too flashy, and uh, he's not like a, a guy who always jumps out at you. But he's a hell of a player. He's he's a fantastic player. And, you know, our, of course, Gimlin. You know, a few years back was certainly would you call a superstar. Now he's you know obviously a veteran on the back nine, um, but it, it's just great. It's great depth. On that top line with Lucic, just uh, you know, got to be among the you know top three or four for first lines in the league, and they can you know they can beat you with with any of their top three lines. So it's it's tough to play around, especially when you got some massive lines in the playoffs.
0: And going back to last postseason, the first round against the, the Leafs when the game seven, I mean, they're, the game's basically over, and. uh I was watching it with my girlfriend, and we were about to tr- change the channel. And then I sort of warned her, you know, I've seen this Bruins team come back uh, time and time again. They did it in their in their actual Cup run when they were down two games to none of the Canadians, um, especially in that series in the Game Seven when Subban scored late, and then they ended up winning in overtime to win the series. So it just seems like this Bruins team, very much like the Blackhawks, is never out of a game. Uh, you know, two goal deficits, three goal deficits can be erased. Uh, very much different from what we have here with the Rangers, where once they get down. They're sort of out, but uh, with this Bruins team, it just seems like they're never really out of a game. And going back to last postseason, you know, maybe we're not talking about the great job that Shira Rally and organization has done if they don't come back in that Game Seven and they're just a first round bust. Yeah, I was
1: uh, I was at that game too uh, versus Toronto and. You know, it's four to one. And, you know, look, looked at my brother and looked at you know, you know. Oh, jeez, man, this is a disaster. I said, well, I looked. I said, it's game seven. I said, I'm. You know, I always stay for the handshake, no matter what. I said, so I'm not leaving, regardless of what the scoreboard says. And that was a, an incredible comeback. I mean, it was. I had never. I've seen a lot of games, but the delirium in the place that night. That night was absolutely insane. Um, I, I I think that's that's what do you call it? To have, like I said, a perennial contender like like they are, uh, it's you know all, all the fans really ask for. You know, it's it's all you really want. I mean, you, you know, like I said, I, I think season tickets mine went I think from forty two or forty up to fifty bucks, and you know you just want to have uh, have your team in that in that spot every year. Look, you know, what an opportunity to to be there at the end of the year. Uh, last year it, it was a tough tough end of the season with that Chicago thing, but you know, like you mentioned, it it's it, just such a resilient team. Uh, they don't panic. They, they kind of got ice water in their veins when, you know, when they are down. That they don't, they don't play panicky. They, they, you know, they've been there. They're such a veteran, calming presence on their team. And, and I think after what they went through in 2011, when they did win the cup, like you said, down being down up nothing in Montreal, uh, coming back, to, you know, win four of the next five. And the same thing with Vancouver. Uh, I think they're such battle tested that now when they're in the playoffs, we. You know, you, you don't worry about, about it. Of course, I mean, I probably did think they were all, all done versus Toronto that night, but, you know, they, they, they didn't panic. They just kind of, you know, they, they stuck to it. They kept playing the game, and they ended up kept coming back. And obviously not how you draw it up and not how you want to get it done, but uh, they, they are a resilient bunch, and it's, it's probably their strongest quality, uh, you know, their ability to just be that mentally tough to just block things out and, and you know, get the job done.
0: two years ago I really wanted a Rangers Bruins playoff series when the Rangers were the one seed and uh, the Bruins ended up going out in the first round of the Capitals and the Rangers losing the conference finals to the Devils Um, last year I sort of wanted it again and and I got my wish and the Bruins embarrassed the Rangers and bounced them in five games and it seems like you know I I don't want that matchup this season if the Rangers are able to get into the playoffs Um, it just doesn't seem like a good idea anymore after watching what, what unfolded last year but as a Bruins fan I mean there is there any team that you feel you don't Match up well against? Is there? I mean, even Pittsburgh, four game sweep last year. So right now, is there anybody that you're nervous about?
1: Uh, oh yeah, it's the Bruins and Montreal, man. I mean, I, I I love to play them. It's it's always fun. But I you know, I wouldn't. Be, I'd be lying if I said it, I don't get that pit in my stomach when we play them. <laughs> uh, it's it just, I mean, it's just. Such a history there because my you know my childhood was ruined by the Canadians from, you know back in the seventies i mean every single year they they ended our season just about it seemed like every year and even into the 80s up until 88 when the, the first time the bruins beat them in 40 something years in a playoff series so yeah anytime montreal comes in it, it, it doesn't matter what Montreal's team looks like on paper it it just i i think when when that team plays the bruins when they come to boston or when boston's up there they somehow find another gear. They just—it's something about the history and the pride in that uniform. And, and like, I mean, the series in you know 2011 when in, you know went to overtime seven-game series. On paper, that's a team the, the Bruins should have probably pounded. But you know, they were a small, shifty team that, that you know kind of eluded a lot of Bru- the Bruins checks. They were just, you know, they kind of they played. To their strengths, which, you know, were perfect against the Bruins' weaknesses. And, and yeah, that's a team, uh, I mean, if if we see them, great. But if we don't, I'm fine with that, too.
0: Going back even a little further here uh, during the regular season was the uh, the whole and Thornton-Brooks pick incident uh, following the hit on Louis Erickson, um, the knee to the head from James Neal, and that disaster. I wanted to talk to you about this because I feel like you have a pretty good uh, idea on on the situation and what should have unfolded, what did unfold with the suspension. And to me, I feel like I'm very pro-player safety. Obviously, you don't want to see guys getting hurt. You certainly don't want to see people getting jumped but the way Brooks Orpik plays the game to be headhunting, uh, you know, goal scoring type players, especially guys without even the puck, which is it was interference to begin with that wasn't called, uh, and then to not answer the bell when he's called upon by Thornton to back up his actions, it just seemed to me like yeah, Thornton probably did have to get suspended because it just looked so bad on video and replays, but to me it was a little over the top and, you know, Pittsburgh's always played that way and it just seems like eventually it caught up with them and, and granted Orpik ended up getting hurt over it and not seriously hurt since he's able to play and he did play in the Olympics, but I just feel like that going back in time. Now to talk about this, Thornton's suspension was a little over the top.
1: Uh, I, it was definitely more than I thought. Uh, it's, it's funny though. Actually, I see. I you know, talking to people around the league that there was actually some talk that you know it, it would have been longer if it wasn't Sean Thornton because he, he is you know very well liked by you know, officials and other players, and he's you know he's well respected around the league. So you know if it was another guy that he might, he probably would have got more games. Uh, and then one of the biggest I think you know misconceptions or i don 't know yeah i mean necessarily reported it was probably just based on someone's perspective or how they thought they started, but Sean okay. Do did not snap and flip out he 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 didn't at all uh, i I talked to him about it uh, after after the incident and, and kind of confirmed what I suspected he didn't snap what he did was very controlled that was. You know like he said when he gets in a fight or uh, a situation, he said everything slows down for him, and he kind of remembers everything and and that's how that situation was i mean and, and you know everyone said he slew foot him now, when you typically slew foot a guy at hockey, the guy's going down uh he can't protect himself, and that's and he's vulnerable and can be hurt. That's why it's such a dirty hit when sean kicked the orpic skate out skate out, he held on his jersey and he softened his landing so, i mean yeah, he kicked his skate, but he also he held his jersey, so he didn't fall, so he didn't land on his head. He kind of gave him like a controlled like land, and 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 he gave him a couple shots uh, shots on the on the chin, which he honestly, hands are God, he didn't think he they were gonna knock him out. He he honestly thought he was just gonna give him a couple pops to get his attention, and you know, don't you ever think you're gonna do that again, type of thing, and you know, like that, that goes on in hockey all the time, the intimidation factor. And 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 he knocked him out. He really, you know, I mean, he, he said, if, you know, when I I know what how to hit a guy when I want to knock him out. and... You know, it wasn't his intention at all. Uh, I mean, you know, Orpik. I don't know if the combination of hitting, getting hit and I don't know how hard his head hit the ice. I don't, I don't, I don't know if it did at all. Uh, but it, the last thing Sean thought was going to happen was he was going to knock the guy out. I mean, then when he's skating back to the, the bench, you can uh, kind of see like a little surprised look on his face. So he didn't snap. He he, he thought he was just kind of you know sending the proverbial message, and and he 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 accidentally KO'd Orpik. And uh, yeah, Warbeck should you know should answer the bell on occasion, and you know I think you know he does play that you know on the edge style, and and you know he doesn't he doesn't fight, and you know that that's that's the the result. Some unfortunate. I mean it was it was ugly, and I think too, the you know, once the ambulance comes out, it always looks worse than it is when. I mean, let's face it. It's done for more precautionary reasons than actual injury reasons. Now, uh, you know, with the concussions, they they just want to be careful and safe, and that's understandable. But I I think it makes for a much more dramatic scene. Oftentimes, when it's you know, a lot of times, you know, 15 years ago, the guy would get up and skate off, and now we take him out on an ambulance. So it's <laughs> you know, it looks worse than it is a lot. But yeah, Thorne didn't snap. He he, he was just uh, he was just trying to get his attention and. Uh, unfortunately the, the guy uh, the guy got KO'd and you know, it would happen happened. But, you know, I, I think he he regrets it turned out the way probably it did But, you know, uh, I think he, I think the message Was probably sent at the end of the day <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, I think the problem with the NHL And the suspensions is that, you know Had Orpik just gotten right up after that Thornton doesn't get suspended And I think that's a big issue Because you could jump someone in a way worse fashion Than Thornton did And, you know, feed them punches to the back of the head And, uh, you know, maybe they do have a concussion Maybe they're more injured than they lead on to be But as long as they don't leave the game As long as they don't miss another game Then it seems like Shanahan and the NHL league offense is just let it slide and nothing comes of it.
1: Yeah, there's, there's been so much inconsistency there. Uh, I mean, God, I mean, countless examples. It just. I mean, I mean, I go back even to the to Matt Cook on Max Savad and how they cop, how they, they use such a cop out on that and saying, oh well, we we you know Colin Campbell ruled on based on the rules. As they were, which is just such mumbo jumbo BS. Because the commissioner has the authority to come in on anything, any matter, and say this is so over the top or so ridiculous that I'm going to suspend you, in, in the you know, like they did with Dale Hunter back in '93 when he, you know, Pearl Harbor Turner.
0: That's like the worst thing. That's like probably the worst hockey video you can even see on YouTube, except. For maybe uh, Claude Lemieux just running people from behind.
1: Yeah, yeah and, and like you know, they they came in and they put the hammer down on them, and they, they you know they they because that that's what you do when you're the commissioner, And you know they 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 went they went and they chinched out and they saw you know they they all the rules and you know they 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 copped out they they they, they they've been doing it for years I know like they they have gotten better at it I will say that but you know every once in a while there's just a, a hit like I mean James Neal like the. Same game, knees, Marshawn. I mean, he, he went so far out of his way and was so deliberate. It's a knee guy in the back of the head. I mean, you talk, that was worse than what, what Thornton did to Orpic. I mean, you know, I mean, at least, you know, Thornton was at least facing him. And, you know, when he punched him in the face, I mean, Marshawn getting, I mean, getting a knee in the back of the head, that's scary, man. That's just, it's dangerous. It's the exact type of stuff they're trying to get rid of. And he had got an example, a perfect opportunity to make an example, and they don't, you know, so. You know, the the only thing they're consistent at is being inconsistent.
0: Yeah, and I think it even goes farther than that in their whole thing about the result being what's what's important and just like high sticking, which has forever been the rule about, you know, if you high stick a guy in the face and he's bleeding it's four minutes, but you could break a guy's entire jaw and not have any blood and it's only two minutes. So it just seems like all the all their rules come back to what the result is and if there's an injury rather than what it should be.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's I know they, they do twelve they Supposedly take everything into account if the person was injured on in the play, prior history, all that. But uh, yeah, they, I mean, I mean, I think every every a fan of every team in the league probably has a has a legitimate complaint about you know their guy getting screwed and another team not. I mean, I, I know certainly the, as a Bruins fan, you know, you know, people think we whine a lot, but they, you know, because of the way they play, they, there's a lot of guys who you know try to go to them into stuff and they they take cheap shots and. And dirty stuff, and um, you know you just gotta, you know, you gotta bite your tongue and take it. Like, like Claude says, you know, you don't have to like it, but you gotta respect the decision, and you just move on. But yeah, you know, you'd like to see a little more consistency in that game.
0: Well, since you said the Bruins, uh, you believe they're slightly better than they were last year with the cup run, and you know being the season ticket holder and just hoping for a chance to win. Um, you know, after not having a cup since '72, getting one a couple years ago, getting back to it last year, even though you came up short, is there a grace period with this team? I mean, are you willing to you know let a season go by, or is, or is it at the point now where they're built to win and, and it's cup or bust for the Bruins?
1: No, they're built to win right now and for the for the next you know for for the foreseeable you know, next time. Five years, I don't know. I mean, they got the most important position they have locked up with with Rask. Uh and that you know that that's huge right there. Uh, Chara, I, I would say he's probably got maybe three to five years left. Um, you know, I don't I mean I don't. He's not going to probably be as good as as he is. You know, has as, as he's been the last couple of years. I, I think he's probably going to you know start to tail off a little bit. Uh, he's going to be a huge hole to replace. Uh, I know I don't know that Dougie Hamilton is going to be the next Chara. I just, you know, I'm not sure if he could teach Schnall and nastiness, but hopefully, he hopefully he can because that was that's one aspect that uh, Dougie Hamilton could use in his game. But uh, yeah, this team is built to win. Now it is; it's definitely anything uh, short of a of a Stanley Cup is going to be a disappointment. Uh, they, you know, they, they got the the team to to go back from exactly where they were last year, back to the Stanley Cup, and uh, have an opportunity to win it. Uh, I think they, I think you're going to see this team contending for for the next few years. They, they they they're solid up the middle and you know, they got solid depth down the, on the farm. Uh, they got I mean they've I think I've iced they've iced about eight, nine eight NHL defensemen this year. You know which is you know a testament to the depth they have down in Providence. Uh, this team yeah they're they're built for uh, for for the now uh, and in the, the future is bright too. So it's it's good times to be a Bruins fan and yeah if uh, and if they go to the Cup again and lose you know it's going to be a disappointment. I mean will what be a failure of the season? No I mean I. Have a tough time. a team failed because they they lose in the finals. But <laughs> you know, it, it definitely if they don't win the cup this year, then then you know it's gonna it's gonna feel like uh, you know an opportunity squandered, put it that way.
0: All right, Brian. Well, thanks for joining me. And uh, since this is the last Rangers Bruins game of the year, you know, hopefully we get a chance to do this again this spring, and uh, maybe these team two teams will meet again in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, it'll be the final 4 they That'll be interesting. And uh, I, I had said before, I wish they, uh, NHL had a great great opportunity to. You know, with the final four teams when they play themselves out of the division, they could have had a reseeding of the four teams, but instead they went with the old geography route. So it's always going to be like kind of an east versus west team instead of uh, just a random four teams. You know, we could have had a potential uh, Bruins Rangers and a Stanley Cup instead of just the semis, but I you don't know. Maybe they can revisit that at some point because I think it would be better to have uh, not many more Stanley Cup kind of combinations than what we have now.
0: I agree, and I, I, you know, when they first started talking about realignment, I thought that was a big plus for it. And it's weird to always to change the way you've gotten used to things over the years. But if there was a chance for you know for the Bruins to play the Rangers in the Stanley Cup, I think that would have brought a whole lot better intrigue to the game, and it would have definitely changed things up for the first time they've been since well before my lifetime.
1: Yeah, yeah, it would have been good. I mean, actually, they they used to do it that that way. I mean, back in the seventies, I mean, the Bruins uh in the actually the rangers played the canadians for the cup uh, and the Bruins actually in the rangers did back in 72 they played for the cup so there these were back you know different back of course the, you know teams were different you know alignment was different there were less teams and all that but you know they they definitely could have could have done things different so I, I i suppose that you know they could revisit it once they finally get the other two teams they want to put wherever and and finally get 32 teams and make a nice even balanced uh, schedule for everybody like they have i mean NFL, so you can have a nice 16 team playoff.
0: All right, Brian. Well, thanks again. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll see each other once again this April or May.
1: All right, Neil. Take care, pal. Thanks for having me.